Hi, everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test? I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin. And we're here today to talk about things we should have learned in school, but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. Sometimes we talk about Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. Holy shit, man. It's been a week. Yeah. Yeah, Chadwick Boseman, 43 years old, died of colon cancer this week. Two days ago? One from one recording? Yeah, it was a, few, a couple of days ago. And honestly, like, I was thinking, you know, about all the great movies he did and how much I loved Black Panther. But then the really important part hit me. This guy was diagnosed with cancer four years ago. Black Panther came out two years ago. He was in the beginnings of working on Black Panther 2. All the while, he's going through chemo. He's dealing with the side effects of chemo, I'm sure. And he kept going. Yeah. And he didn't, he didn't, I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but this is how I'm I'm interpreting it. He didn't want to be the actor with cancer. It's not even so much based on the little bit I know about him that he was afraid of losing roles. He didn't want to be the cancer guy. And on top of that, there is no way no one else knew. He kept it quiet, yes. But hair and makeup especially had to know, and no one told. Hollywood kept a secret that wasn't a scandal. They kept a secret that was to make someone's life better. And all he, he was like going to cancer wards and visiting kids and doing all these yeah. really amazing things and talking about how excited he is for Kamala Harris and prepping for Black Panther. This guy didn't plan on dying. He was a fucking champ. And his, his last tweet was talking about how excited he was about Kamala Harris. Kamala. Kamala. We're still working on Kamala. Kamala. We, it's... We're getting better, but we're not there yet. We are so sorry, Ms. Harris. Senator, Senator Harris. Harris. And we're, we're working on it. Everybody deserves to have their name pronounced correctly, used correctly. And I, we, we heard it being mispronounced by journalists way too long. Yeah, so we're working on it. So we lost Chadwick Boseman this week. And then 2020 broke Jim Gaffigan. I mean, this week broke me pretty hard, too. Just, ugh. But Jim Gaffigan, I was not expecting Jim Gaffigan no. to go on an angry rant against Donald Trump. Yeah, he turned from Danny Tanner into Bob Saget this week. And I did some research. I was like, okay, is he really a clean comic or is that just what I'm thinking? Yes and no. Um, he's gone through a history of like trying to figure out what his comic niche is. And he went through a time where his management team was like, you need to start cussing to bring in the youths because the youths won't listen if you're not cussing. And it didn't work. But yeah, he doesn't cuss and he is, you know... A good guy and a good yeah. Christian guy and all that and, and everything I've gathered. Oh damn! Everything I've gathered about him is he's not a clean comic because he wants to be a clean comic and get like those people. He just doesn't swear a lot. Yeah, this is just who he is. He's a funny guy without swearing, which you know is the opposite of me. I'm only able to be funny when I'm saying the word fuck. Yeah, it's that's actually not true. I'm actually I actually managed to get through seven years of being a teacher and only dropping the f bomb one time and it was a couple of my former students they were not in my class came to visit and it was pre uh the school year and i was chatting with them and i just kind of was like you know and then fuck fucking this and they both when i stopped looked them they stopped and looked at me and they both busted up laughing and said we always knew we always knew you were on the verge <laughs> i I'm not, I'm not an aggressive fuck there. It's not, you know, it's directed, it's not directed at people. It's just kind of a, almost a. It's almost like an um. It's almost an um. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to remember what the word is for that. There's a specific word. And I'm it's sure like a that, vocal filler. Yeah. But I actually managed to never say it except for that one time in all seven years of teaching. And I still think I was pretty funny. I will, I'll, I will say that you, you swear less frequently at home now, but I guess 
I guess you're working from home, so it's exa- but like when you stopped teaching, you started swearing less. I didn't have a buildup anymore. Yeah, and it was never. I didn't ever want to swear at my kids. I wanted to swear at the system. My kids were awesome. I really like. I've been the school year starting up, and I've been thinking about them a lot lately. And I just, I really miss them. I legitimately miss them. They were some pretty cool kids. Yeah, like Austin would come up and volunteer with them, and they just had the best time. And they were so excited that one of their teachers' husbands was coming up, and they loved calling him by his first name. Yeah, it was, uh, or act, act, they'd call me Mister Maddie a lot too. They would, they would call him Mister Maddie. That is not his last name. Uh, it is mine. Maddie is not my first name, but I go by Maddie. Like. Like, yeah. as if I played the sports ball, which I don't. Yeah. But it's my like, first name... Na- then why do you have all of those jerseys that say Maddie on them? I don't know if I've ever had anything that had my last name on it like that. Oh, I know what I'm getting you for Christmas now. Yeah, Christmas is coming. The goose is getting fat. Yep. That's what we call the person we have chained up in our backyard. We found him at a uh, costume party at Halloween. He mm-hmm. was dressed as Maverick. But <laughs> uh, we are jerks and we just call him Goose and he really hates it. We also play volleyball in front of him and don't let him join in. And I do it in slow-mo and I oil myself up. <laughs> I've actually never seen that movie. I just, Austin has described it for me. It's yay military, oh yeah, homoerotic volleyball. Um, you, also, I, you also had in there, yay military, toxic masculinity, toxic masculinity, homoerotic volleyball, yay military, toxic masculinity. Yep. <laughs> So I've never seen it, though. But I did. We, you know, we've talked about Ben Shapiro's reaction to WAP. (laughs) We tried to turn it into a kid's bop song. um, I think we turned it into a kid's bop song very successfully. We might, like, we need to finish it. We do. We've got through, like, a verse. I think, okay, I'm not going to make a promise, guys. But if we finish it, I'll find a way to video it or whatever and put it on our website. We can read it. Because kid's bop. Does the mo- We've talked about this before. Kids Pop does the most inappropriate songs. I'm trying to think of, like, is there a song more inappropriate than WAP that they could do? I mean, oh, crowd, what was that song called? Oh, the, uh... Baby, Hold Me Closer on the back, in the back Oh, Closer by yeah. Chainsmokers? Yeah. Like, that's close. Yep. They've done Disturbia. I guess Take Me to Church would probably be more inappropriate if... Uh, if you actually listen to the lyrics, I love that is one of my favorite songs. Austin hates it. I just don't like. I just, it's just so bleh. See, I'm the opposite. I I listen to it, and I Austin knows more about music. There's something about the key it's in mm-hmm. that it just it punches you in the fucking gut. And then if you listen to the lyrics, you just get punched over and over and over. It's like and it's like ha- Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. Yep. You just get punched over and over and oh, over. Do the Republicans not know that Hallelujah is about sex? Is it though? They showed it a lot. They showed um, Donald with his with with Ivanka a lot See, with Hallelujah. It's like ooh. I mean, okay. I admit I haven't researched the background of the song, but it's a little weird to me that they would use a song that's that expressly about sex in Shrek. Hello, Fezzik is visiting. How are you? Our intern has finally shown up. Like he's so lazy. He never helps with any of the sound mixing or editing. No. Sometimes he makes it worse by purring directly into the microphone. Not as bad as Draco, who tries to knock the microphone off the table. Fezzik is our good boy. He's the one that has three and a half legs. Hello. Are you, com- are you coming over to mom? Come here. <laughs> I know. This is exactly the quality content you all want. I mean, I listen to lots of podcasts because cats fuck with things. So 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Fezzik is our good boy. However, if you have weight loss tips for a very lazy three-legged obese cat, we would love to hear them. He's been on a diet for about two months. It's a vet approved diet. We take very good care of our cats. It is not working. And he is a social eater. He will, like, he flat out refuses food if he doesn't get to eat with his siblings. So he's pretty good about staying away from their food and only eating their diet, his diet food. But he is still a junk. He is solid. And while we are not fat shaming him, he does have some, like, apnea problems from it. So we want him to be (laughs) healthy. He snores so much and I love him. He is so cute and so sweet and he loves everybody and we want him to be healthy. And now he's trying to chew on your finger. Yes. Okay, I know. Quality content. Hi, guys. Quality content. (laughs) Okay, so who gets to go first this week? Because we are on a tear of tangents. Oh my god, guys. It's been a fucking week. So what did we talk about last week? Hiroshima uh, and then, oh my god, I even left my topic. P.T. Barnum. P.T. So Barnum. So I go first this week. Yeah, you you were talking about The Greatest Showman. Yes. So today, we've talked about Chadwick Boseman. And I wanted to do something related to Chadwick Boseman. So I thought about covering cancer. Signs of cancer, hot cancer treatments. And then I realized, as I thought more about it, no, that's not what he was about. Cancer was his ending. It was not his beginning. It was not even his middle. He made sure of that. So I wanted to focus more on why his contribution to the film industry mattered. So I'm talking about the history of black film today. And I will also be talking about it next week. This is my first two-parter. Austin has already done one about the Freedom Rides. Because there is a little over 100 years of history with this. I'm already having to leave out too many important figures, too many important events to get it down to anything remotely close to my normal time. So it's a two-parter. My resources were Wikipedia, Roger Ebert, The New Yorker, U.S. Inflation Calculator, History.com, IMDb, and a book. I actually bought a book for y'all. Don't say I never did anything for you. It is called Hollywood Black by Donald Bogle. I've been skimming through it a lot. This is the only cohesive resource resource i everything i looked at online was there is no cohesive resource there is no cohesive resource this one came out i I believe last year and it's this one dude and it's massive and it's at your local library and it's on amazon the kindle edition is four dollars read it if this topic interests you even a little bit read it it is excellent so i want to talk about a few of the terms i'm going to be using because they matter in the grand scheme of the story and i want people to know what they mean so i don't have to try to explain them as i go so the first one is blackface blackface is theatrical makeup worn by white and black actors portraying black characters. They literally colored their skin with burnt cork or grease paint or shoe polish. So they weren't trying to look like they had a skin tone. They were literally coloring themselves like you would with a fucking Sharpie. They had, they exaggerated their lips. They'd look kind of like clowns and they wore wigs and stuff to kind of complete this look. This is something that's come up a lot in recent years, blackface. And it's kind of become a catch-all term in recent years to mean anybody who colors their skin to become a black person, a black stereotype, anything. But historically, and what I'm going to be talking about this episode especially, blackface means literally painted black with the exaggerated features. Don't do it. If you do it, you're a moron. I've only seen it done appropriately in very specific circumstances where it was a commentary on what we used to do to black people and, you know, still do in some cases, but I'm talking about in theater. And then Mammy. A Mammy stereotype is a black woman who worked for a white family and took care of their kids. They're usually older, overweight, dark-skinned, and are the ideal caregiver and submissive to the family. Though occasionally they also get to be the sassy one. Uh, She cares very little for her own family, if they're mentioned at all, and has 
no black friends. Her entire existence is caring for the white family. This is kind of like what Aunt, Aunt Jemima scandal thing is yeah. right now. They think that she's a mammy now. She does not fit the stereotypical mammy body shape. Mammies are usually, if you think of um, Hattie McDaniel in Gone with the Wind, that's more what people are mentioning. I don't have an opinion on the Aunt Jemima thing, not because I shouldn't, but because I'm not educated enough to have an opinion on it. And I don't think it's fair to form an opinion without having any knowledge. And then Uncle Tom. Uncle Tom is named after the, you know, namesake of Uncle Tom's cabin. It's an extremely subservient black person who participates in the oppression of their own people and are frequently called snitches. So those are all going to come up a couple of times. So I just wanted to get it out of the way. The earliest portrayal of black people in film were people in blackface. They were all short films and they had titles that would now be considered slurs. So I did not write them down. They were offshoots of minstrel shows portraying black people as stupid, childlike, comical, or dangerous. The first real attempt at an actual plot was a 12-minute film of Uncle Tom's Cabin in 1903, which was a shortened version of the story and apparently sucks. Tom was played by the film's white director in blackface. An actual black mainstream star, Burt Williams, appeared in a film called Lime Kiln Field or Lime Kiln Club Field Day in 1913. So this is an actual black actor who is on a film screen. The majority of that film is lost. They managed to find some partial bits and pieces of it in the 70s. And that is the only remnants that's ever been found. This is something that a lot of people don't know. In vaudeville, in early film, in theater, there actually were black actors on screen and on stage. And you don't know this because they had to wear blackface. It wasn't just the white actors who had to wear blackface to be black characters. The black actors had to do it as well. Because it would be too offensive to the white sensitivities to see the actual skin tone of somebody on stage. Now, I have a couple of theories behind why this is. One, of course, is just that they don't want to, you know, give these people, quote unquote, some kind of platform. But also, and I think this is probably more the case, they were afraid of humanizing them. You know, they did the same thing with jazz musicians, too. Like, black jazz musicians would be in blackface that comes up when they're performing for white audiences. And it's just... Yeah, because jazz music was black music. Yeah. And they, I, I really believe that they wanted to avoid white audiences seeing black people as people. So making them into caricatures, even when they were black actors, was the safest way to go. And this kind of goes back to the P.T. Barnum thing, where it's, you know, well, this is oppression. Why would anybody participate in it? Especially black people. They needed to work like anybody else. And, you know, if they're really good at what they do, they're dancers, they're singers, they're actors, this is what they love. This is the sacrifice that they had to make at the time. It doesn't mean they liked it. But you gotta work, you gotta eat. Bert was in blackface for the movie. The other black actors, though, were not. It was just him. And it seems like it had a romance plot, but nobody knows for sure. But it sounds like it had a real plot. <laughs> the first portrayal of a black person in a full-length film, 1915's The Birth of a Nation. Oh, oh, this is, oh. To date, considered one of, if not the most racist film in history. It was also the first ever movie screened within the walls of the White House. Oh, God. Who was the president? Was it 1913? That would have been... 1915. 15? Oh, gosh. I don't remember who that was. Wilson. Wilson. Oh, yeah. That makes Wilson that makes apparently sense. owed a favor to the filmmaker, and so he agreed to watch it. He never actually publicly spoke on his opinion of the film, but I think it's pretty telling that he saw it three times, and it was three hours long, so the president spent nine hours of his life watching this movie. 
The actors in the movie who played the black characters were in blackface, but they had actual black actors in the movie in the background laboring in the fields. The movie is portrayed as being based on true events, and some of them were true events, like the Civil War happened and slavery existed. But most of it is highly fictionalized and portrayed black and biracial people as sex fiends who only wanted to copulate with or rape white women and stuff ballot boxes but keep white people from voting. Opposite. And the KKK were the heroes. Yeah, I I remember hearing about this movie in film class and talking about how important it was. It is. It is genuinely important. And, and that's the paradox of the movie. I've never seen it because I never took a film class. I know a theater major never took a film class. It is genuinely important. Not just because it was the first film to ever have a black character, not a black actor, a black character as some form of lead, even though he was, they made him into this garbage, horrifying stereotype, but because they changed cinematography and we still shoot things, not on film anymore, obviously, but on camera using methods that they did, using framing that he did for the first time ever. And that's the paradox of this movie. This movie is horrifying and racist and no one should see it except every film student should see it because it changed film forever and apparently it's actually really well written and I've never seen it this is me this is me reading several articles that were like I am so mad that I realized this movie was good and it's like I'm not and all the all of the people who wrote the artists were like I am not saying that the ideas in the movie were good I'm saying the movie is smartly written and really well filmed and dear god I hate myself right now So it's one of those movies that I don't know if I'll ever watch it. If I watch it, it will be because I know how important it is historically. And that's as far as that will go. I feel like if I watch it, I'll just be yelling angry things for a couple of days. Here's the interesting thing, though. You're not alone, including with people in 1915. There were protests and the movie ended up being banned in certain places just because it was racist, not because it was violent. This was in 1915. 1915, 105 years ago. Black filmmakers all started merging around this time. Earlier ones created shorts, but then came Noble Jackson. Johnson. Noble Johnson. Noble was one of the most successful black actors of the time, though he played a variety of ethnicities because then, like now, ethnicities are interchangeable on film. So he played, you know, black characters. He played Native American characters. He played Egyptian characters because it's all interchangeable. It's all the same. Oh, gosh. Like every time there's a movie that takes place in Asia, it's like, well, it doesn't matter what their ethnicity actually is when it's an American film. Though he was actually like on the verge of becoming a huge star, like a legitimate star, he kind of backed off and founded the Lincoln Motion Picture Company, which began to, he was one of the founders, began to create black cast films that were determined to be, quote, emblems of pride, racial uplift, and accomplishments all produced for African-American audiences, as uh, Bogle put it in the book. They put black people in films without blackface, and they also included other people of color. Like, so you're Mexican. Your character is also Mexican. Huh. They didn't last very long because they ran out of money. But it made it clear that these films were needed. So in came Oscar Michaud. It's a French name, I think. A novelist termed filmmaker and another one worthy of his own episode because a few of these guys have been so far. He made movies that were truly provocative, including one called Within Our Gates in 1920, which was a direct response to the birth of a nation. (laughs) It showed the more real story of how black people, especially in the South, were being brutalized by whites 
including actual, I mean, it wasn't actual, but including putting on film lynchings and rapes in 1920. I looked at some pictures and this movie, remember a few years ago, God, probably 10 years ago now, people were really pissed about Black Snake Moan because of how like graphic it was with the rape scene. I believe it was a child rape scene, but it's been a long time. Yeah, this movie would be considered controversial for similar reasons now. They are graphic. 1920. People also got mad about that, obviously, but it was actually, it was the first time they were like, hey guys, look how you treat us. Go fuck yourselves. <laughs> and it looks amazing, honestly. Uh, in the 1920s, Hollywood became Hollywood for the first time, as in the place films were made. It hadn't been that way before. A few black actors made names for themselves within the black community. But then Nellie Conley came along. Oddly, Nellie, uh, she was, she'd been married before. Like her whole life, I, I, I might be confusing for somebody else. I don't think so, though. But she ended up in Hollywood and approached D.W. Griffith, the director of Birth of a Nation, to get her start as a black actress. And the two actually became friends. So it's like, it's one of those weird things about this time period. Because um, I don't think he looked at it and thought, I am making a racist movie. Like, it sounds like he thought he was making a true story and just being a dick. Uh, but obviously couldn't have a black actress with a name like Nellie Conley because that could be a white person's name. So her name became Madame Saltywan. Nobody knows why. Most of her roles were minor, but she played alongside white actors, often in mammy roles or as a native, etc. However, she kept at it and appeared in films through the 1940s, even after they went from being silent films to talkies, uh, including portraying Tichuba, who I have covered in a previous episode, if that interests you, in 1937's Maid of Salem. Uh, the first black child star was named Ernest Morrison, also called Sunshine Sammy. When he started, he was a stereotype, but he actually slowly got morphed into playing just another kid. He acted like a kid. In 1922, he became part of a cast of a show called Our Gang, which was later The Little Rascals. Ooh. His character, I believe, was named Sun Sunshine Sammy. Other black kids also ended up on the show. And the whole premise of the show is that it's a group of children attending the same school. Black children, white children, it doesn't matter. They're at the same school. And there's no racial tension. They're just getting into kooky kid shenanigans. <laughs> it's like Rugrats, but at school. Have you heard my favorite fan theory about Rugrats? It's that Tommy Pickles is actually the doctor, as in Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. He's got the screwdriver. There's all these weird monsters. He's always escaping. Well, I mean, there is there are Daleks in the show. Yeah, and the, oh, there's Daleks in the show. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I think you might have told me about that initially. So, but obviously, having this kid peeing just another kid didn't solve any problems. It wasn't like, all right, racism gone. <laughs> and we can't talk about black film without mentioning the jazz singer. The, this was the first full-length movie with synchronized music, singing, and speech. People were, like, blown away by this. Al Jolson, a white Jewish actor, played the main character. His character is white but performed in blackface, like you mentioned, because he was a jazz singer. This was the first time the concept of blackface was, the, was a central theme to a movie, and the other central theme was a lack of acceptance of Jewish people. And so it kind of made audiences go oh shit, we're repressing several groups of people. Oh shit. Again, didn't solve everything, but it was the first time something like that had really been done. Uh, talkies made things more real, so blackface began to fall by the wayside. They were like, 
okay, we're seeing like, and also films becoming clearer and blah, blah, blah. At the same time, films with entirely black casts with real plots began to be made. Many of them had been found, the actors had been found from the theater as they knew how to act and speak and sing at the same time, which previous actors, film actors, didn't know how to do. If you want to see a good example of how this can go horribly wrong, watch Singing in the Rain, which is not in any way related to the overall topic, but this shows you like what happens when they tried to get some silent film actors to be regular film actors. Things also started changing behind the scenes. Clarence Muse was an actor who began as a theater actor, but then he moved out to Hollywood and he refused to be treated as less than. And he would not stay quiet when he saw or heard discrimination on the set. Now, I took a lighting class in college and I've been doing lighting for a long time. I suck at it, but I, I know a decent amount. I've taught lighting. I have never heard that they used, uh, that one of the darkening instruments they used was called the N-word. Huh. It was literally, this is a darkening tool called the N. And so Clarence is hanging out and he hears somebody say, bring the N over to me. And he goes, oh, fuck no. And he went to the director and he was like, I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. Your lighting guys are saying this and I'm not going to work until you make them stop. And production fucking stopped. <laughs> Until he got his way. And apparently he did this on a lot of film sets. Like he would hear something racist. He'd be like, I'm not working until you fix it. So good for him. And then when the Screen Actors Guild started in the early 1930s, he really pushed other black actors to join so they could help change the system from the inside. And then in the late 1930s, he began working behind the scenes, writing scripts and music for movies. And he helped directors learn to work with black actors because directors are white actors were black and it comes down to like different cultures different life experiences so he needed he's like serving as treat them like people here is how their life experiences are different from yours that's kind of what he did and he kind of helps to start change the narrative i'm skipping over a shit ton of important stuff because i could spend like i could do an entire podcast on film in the 1920s but by the 1930s black actors began to be known to the so-called mainstream audiences for the first time though they still often played stereotypes not always but usually an important person in the 1930s uh, and there were a lot of them but one important one was Bill Robinson, better known as Bo Jingles. You've probably at least seen the clip of him teaching Shirley Temple to dance on a staircase in Little Colonel. Also, why is Colonel spelled like that? I blame the French. Colonel. Colonel. Yeah, it's definitely the French's fault. Ugh. Uh, that staircase routine is actually his own. It was a vaudeville routine that he had perfected, and then he got cast in the movie, and he told Shirley Temple to do it. They actually worked together on three other films, including The Littlest Rebel. In The Littlest Rebel, Shirley was left alone on her family's southern farm, her dad was, I think, a prisoner of war and her mom died. And so she was being cared for by one of their slaves, played by Bojangles. And the character is written to be a bit of an Uncle Tom, where it's just all I care about is taking care of the white people. And he didn't seem to really understand that slavery was a thing. But he's also kind of the hero of the story at the same time and ultimately manages to help her escape to the north and meet Abraham Lincoln. Audiences were like fucking dazzled by him because he can sing, he can dance, and his character, while a stereotype, wasn't a stupid negative stereotype. I have never heard of this Shirley Temple movie until this moment. I have seen very few Shirley Temple movies. She went on to be a fucking badass. Like she's, yeah, she, uh, she was an ambassador after she yeah, was done she's being a, a good child one, star. She's a good one for us to cover at some point. Yeah. Especially because, like, kids do see at least, like, the late night ads for her movies, so. Mm. He actually went on to play less stereotypical roles. He played a police officer at one point, and he also played one that was loosely based on himself. He actually had, like, and he, like, lived that fucking rich dude life. He loved it, and he was also known to have a temper, but he and Shirley Temple were friends forever, so. 
Also appearing in The Little Colonel was Hattie McDaniel. Oh, I've heard of her. Uh, she was another family servant in that. I She often played servant characters, but not always. I don't want to go too far into her because I've been planning on doing an episode just on her for a very long time, but because she's a badass and she's from Kansas. She's from Kansas? She is from Kansas. I didn't know she was from Kansas. Yeah, she's from, I think, Wichita, which is not where we are. And that is where they're doing the whole, let them play sports matter more than our kids' lives. But whatever, Wichita. She was really important because her characters, she would not play submissive characters. They were servants. They were, there was some submission automatically. But her characters made eye contact. And her characters had opinions and sometimes voiced them. And even if they didn't voice them, she would do shit in the background, like make faces and roll her eyes. <laughs> like, intention, like she was intentionally doing this? This wasn't like Orlando Bloom background acting? No, this is a character choice that is not Orlando Bloom's overacting with his face. Okay. That's the most entertaining part of Lord of the Rings. I hate Lord of the Rings. Sorry, guys. I have, But I also have, like, literal bad memories attached to it, so it's not entirely Lord of the Rings' fault. She was, of course, Mammy in Gone with the Wind. Now, for this film, Gone, Gone with the Wind. I'm just going to briefly talk about Gone with the Wind. <laughs> I, mean, I put the phone down. Austin knows that, like, she's going on a tangent. Uh-oh. Let me, let um, me lean back. No, it's not a bad tangent. It's just Gone with the Wind has recently kind of resurfaced as controversial. And they're like, look at the portrayals of the South, look at the portrayals of Black people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I've read the book. I've seen the movie. It goes back to the other things I've always talked about is they're products of their time. The book is brilliant and a product of its time. The movie is brilliant and further advanced film and is both a product of its time and very progressive for its time. Because they brought in somebody, uh, they brought in somebody from the Negro Press League and said, we don't want this to be birth of a nation. Help us with the script and stop us when we fuck up. So they went through with a fine tooth comb through the book of Gone with the Wind and took out some of the, they took, the N-word doesn't appear in the film and it, it's, it's in the book. And at least I don't think it appears in the film or if it does, it's used very strategically. And then there's a whole part in the book where the KKK are the heroes and they threw that out and changed it to just like friends of hers. The KKK are not fucking heroes in this. So they brought in this dude who was like, this was the first time that somebody, they brought in somebody to advise to make sure they weren't being racist. And so that's like an important part of film history right there. And also the film is beautifully shot. It's beautiful. Hattie McDaniel, because of this movie, became the first black person to win an act, uh, win an Oscar. There are several black actors in the movie. They make the most of their screen time and they are legitimately what you walk away remembering more than, you know, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. You're like, eh, but curtains. let's talk about Hattie Look McDaniel. Look at these curtains I've turned into a dress. I think people mostly remember that because of the Carol Channing, not Carol, Carol Burnett, Carol Burnett uh, spoof of it. Yep. Where she still got the curtain rod in it. <laughs> also, I, I like that um, HBO, when this controversy first started, they pulled it for a bit. But when they put it back, they had like an announcement at the start talking about the like context and history of this movie mm -hmm. and all of this stuff. And it's like, we're going to show it because it's important. Yes, this stuff is in it. Let's give you some context to it. Yeah, Disney does that too. Mm -hmm. um, with some of their films. I will talk about Song of the South. I see you about to mention it, that it's coming up. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll hold my tongue. He's literally holding his tongue and it's That's disgusting. Right. Well, Hattie's mammy character visibly disagrees with Scarlet many times, whether or not she says something. She bosses Scarlet around, kind of reminding her, you know I've got all the shit on you. You think I don't hear what you're talking about, but I hear everything. I know what the fuck you're up to and I can use it against you. So she actually kind of bosses Scarlet around and she has this really amazing scene where she like just kind of has this melt, not meltdown, but like just 
everything has gone to shit in this family. You've never seen the movie, I don't think. Never seen it. Everything has gone. The world has ended for this family. The world has completely ended for this family. And it actually is legitimately tragic. And Scarlett O'Hara is never a sympathetic character. Never. Rhett Butler really isn't either. But what happened is legitimately tragic. And she has the scene where she's like, I see everything that's happening and I can't, I can't do anything about it. And I can't talk to anybody about it. And I'm, I'm just here. And that's what won her her Oscar. The black actors in this movie were not allowed to attend the premiere of the film because it was a whites only theater. And the Oscars were held in a whites only club. But the club owner, as a favor, agreed to let Hetty Hattie come in. But she had to sit in a certain section in the back. Because the black one's not going to win. Well, some of her like her like manager and stuff, like a bunch of white people went over and sat with her. They're like, nope, we're here with fucking Hattie. And then she won. <laughs> and she went up and she was like, cool, guys, I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep progressing your film now because clearly our stories matter too. Bye. <laughs> but she then the whole thing ended and she was not allowed to go to the after party. No. So we suck. Uh, then along came Eddie Rochester Anderson, who was a regular on the Jack Benny program. His character was a servant, but he did not play into the servant stereotypes. His character was smart, he was manipulative, and he was not willing to be put in his place whenever Jack Benny tried. <laughs> he was like, no, screw you, Benny. Uh, he and Jack Benny played off each other so well that they are often considered the first interracial comedy duo. And he went on, like, the first year or first show or something, he earned $35. As the years went on on Jack Benny, he ended up earning $100,000 a year, which would now be $1.4 million for his work on that show. He would later end up appearing in movies like You Can't Take It With You, and it's a mad, 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 mad world. I had to count the mads. It's, I always put in one too many mads in It that seems movie. like, it, like, odd numbers sound better. Yeah. Like, I think that actually is, like, a psychological thing, and I think they did that on purpose. It must be. It does throw you off, because that movie's actually really funny. I haven't seen it. Um, did you see the movie Rat Race with, like, Mr. Bean and all of those? Uh, I remember one with Seth Green. Yeah, Seth Green was in it. Yeah. It's kind of the same movie, but they modernized it, but this is all... It's pretty funny. Okay. So that's a couple of positive things. Like Hattie came in and she was like, I'm a, I'm a fix some stuff. And Eddie came in and he's like, nope, I'm not going to play a servile servant character. And he and Jack Benny were buds, as far as I could tell anyway. And then along came the movie Imitation of Life. This movie title, I believe, has been used since. So look for the one from the 1930s. It was the only film in the 1930s that suggested there was a race problem. And that, you know, racism didn't end with slavery. In the movie, two widows, one white and one black, meet and move in together. B, the white woman, works outside the home and Delilah, the black character, stays home and cares for their respective daughters. Delilah's family had passed down this pancake recipe, which B then marketed and got internet, got national success and lots of money. And so she you know, did the right thing and offered Delilah, the person who had brought the recipe to her, 20%. And then to play further into the stereotypes that were still anticipated, Delilah was like, I don't want any money. I just want to stay here and take care of the kids and you because you need someone to take care of you. But that's not, so obviously we're talking like, oh, that's just a bunch of stereotypes. That's not where the movie ends. So lots of other things happen. But Delilah's daughter, who is light-skinned and can quote unquote pass, decides that she doesn't want to be black. And so she decides that she is going to go and live her life and try to be white. Because she grew up in this house with Jessie, who was um, the other B's daughter, and saw that Jessie has opportunities that she does not simply because she is white. And Delilah is 
you know, really upset about this. You're abandoning your people. You're abandoning your mother. You're doing all this. And so Delilah dies. Like, this is just too much for her. The young actress who played Delilah's daughter, who her name was Freddie Washington, always said that it wasn't that the character wanted to be white. It's that she wanted the same opportunities as white people. And so this is the first movie where that ever showed audiences, yeah, there is inherent problems in the system. And some black people, many black people, want to go out and work and live lives and we aren't letting them. And we're making them, if we if they're gonna let if we're gonna let them, we make them abandon their race. And we only let them do it for white enough skin to be to pass as white. That's this is the first time that movies had ever been like, bam. If they had microphones, they would have dropped it. Mm-hmm. They had microphones. Back I mean, then. yeah, but they were like made of wire and weighed fifty pounds. And yes. Uh, and then 1942, we're, we're in the 1940s. I told you this, like, this is why it's two parter. The NAACP and formal presidential candidate Wendell Wilkie, we could have had a President Wilkie, went to Hollywood to meet with the executive with executives in an attempt to get them to stop all the type stereotyping and, in their words, quote, show the Negro as a normal human being with a an integral being an integral part of human life and activity and also advocating for other people of color. It won't say it worked, but there were some efforts starting to be made because, you know, former presidential candidate and the NAACP and some other people came in and were like, hey guys, stop being racist. So things didn't fix, but they started to change. And that was in part because of Lena Horne. Lena Horne was an actress and a singer. She was spotted by an MGM rep while performing at a club and Walter White of the NAACP also took a special interest in her. She was brought in for screen tests and photographs to get her going. She's beautiful. Like she was just flat out beautiful. None of the hairstylists agreed to touch her hair. And it's not because I don't know how to work with black hair. It's because I'm not touching a black person. Their primary hairstylist was named Sidney Gilroff. Gilroff? Gilroff. Maybe. And he's the one who goes, no, they were racist. So he did not refuse to do this, but he also saw her hair and said, I don't know how to work with that. I've never been trained in working with black hair. So he, in 19, in the early 1940s, hired black hairstylists to come in and work on Hollywood stuff. So he would design the hair and then they would make it happen because they knew how to manipulate hair that was not white people's hair, which is very different. Uh, Though Lena is well-remembered now, she never actually got to be the star she really should have been because she refused to fit in fully with stereotypes. And Southern theaters wouldn't, would censor movies. They wouldn't let them at all. They, some places wouldn't let them have movies that had scenes with both black and white people in them at the same time. So she did not get the fame that she should have gotten. All that said, she was the first to bring in the idea that a black woman could be beautiful, refined, and smart at the same time. She was considered for the role of Sam in Casablanca. Sam was the piano player. Now you might be going, Sam is a man. It's because it was open for, like, they just Mm -hmm. wanted a black actor in the role. And that character developed a friendship with Humphrey Bogart's character. If you haven't seen Casablanca as well, it is one of those, like, it's classic for a reason. The actor was named Dooley Wilson. Though his part was kind of small, he got really good reviews. And his character develops a friendship with Humphrey Bogart's character. But this friendship is called part of the Huck Finn fixation. So I actually um, may have not read Huck Finn High School, even though it was assigned. So do you want to kind of talk about that? Because I'm pretty sure you read it. Oh, I I did. I did. Again, it's it's assigned for a reason. It is one of those things that is a product of its time, even though contemporarily it was a bit lambasted for its use of the N-word, even by like in Mark Twain's time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's... So Huck Finn has a friend. 
Yep. For lack of a better word. Name Jim. Name Jim, and they go down a river together or something? Yep, they are traveling via river so that Jim can escape slavery. Okay. I read most of the assigned reading in high school. I can't remember if that was assigned or not. I just know I didn't read it. And so the Huck Finn fixation is the idea that a white character is some kind of outsider, some kind of loner, doesn't get accepted by their own society. So a wise black older person shows up and cares for them and helps them learn to be a member of society in a productive way and teaches them some empathy and blah, blah, blah. Uh, This is something we still see on film today. The one that immediately came to mind was the Oracle from from The Matrix. Oh, I was thinking um, The Legend of Bagger Vance. I haven't seen that. It's, Will, it's a Will Smith movie. Oh, I, I haven't seen that. Yeah. And then also they made fun of that a lot on 30 Rock. Mm-hmm. Like there's a whole series of like Tracy Jordan trying to be the wise black figure in a movie and he just can't do it. <laughs> it's kind of a it's kind of a mixed bag with the Sam and oh, I'm blanking. I didn't write down the other character's name, but Humphrey Bogart relationship. Because uh, he actually does say like this is going to we're friends. This is a white person admitting to a black person, we're friends. But it's also kind of this kind of relationship. So it's looking at it through a now lens, it's kind of a, mm. but looking through a then lens, it's like, holy shit. Like they treat each other as equals to as, to as much as an extent that they could. And then a lot more happened, but then, you know, time. 1943. Hattie McDaniel asked the Screen Actors Guild to form a committee to address the problems faced by black actors. And Lena Horne was the first black person on the overarching Screen Actors Guild board. So not only was she the first black person, she was a woman. Uh, Followed by several other black actors. They actually were like, okay, cool, let's get some black actors on the board. The anti-discrimination committee didn't form for three more years. And it included both black and white actors, uh, many of whose names you would recognize. The goal of that committee, as actors Marsha Hunt put it, put it was, quote, to show that not all blacks were servants, not all Filipinos houseboys, not all Chinese ran laundries, not all Japanese were gardeners, not all Indians had been scalpers, and not all Italians were gangsters. Again, though, uh, these were this was 70 years ago, and we still see all of these tropes today. Uh-huh. But changes did start. Servant characters were given more autonomy and were less likely to be stereotypes, for instance, not universally, just less. And there were also people who were like, we can't allow this, as you might imagine. This same year, a certain Disney movie came out. Song of the South. It is now locked in the vault forever, pretty much. It is a combination of live action and animated stories as told by Uncle Remus, who was played by James Baskett. Even Disney admits it's super racist. And they admitted it not long after the movie came out. It was put in the vault for 30 years afterwards. It did have a theatrical re-release in 1986 because it was the 40th anniversary. I think I've seen it. I am 99% certain I've seen it. I might have, I think I've only ever seen clips of it when they're talking about Song of the South and how problematic it is. The thing is, it's never been available for commercial sale. Nobody's ever been allowed to purchase or own this whole movie. But I think it might have played on TV a couple of times when I was a kid because I have pretty strong memories. However, I also know for a fact that in high school, I, I don't know if your history class watched this, but this was a movie, video, something that was a compilation of different quote unquote black stories. So it had like, you know, the dude who worked the rail line and could do all the work himself. John Henry? Yeah, John Henry. And then it also had stuff that was very clearly Song of the South. 
And I don't know what the purpose was of watching this film. I have no I idea. I don't remember this film. You, I don't think I ever saw it. I, I think this was... Oh. But then again, also every time we had to watch a film in history class and it wasn't like something I actually wanted to watch, um, I would just read a book because, you know, I was that I was that student. I was very much not that student. And I like I was in the honors history classes for the most part. And you weren't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit, I'm dropping stuff. Oh, well, I'm not going to help you pick that up now because you're a jerk. So I don't remember why we watched it. I don't remember any context around it. I just remember sitting there going, I am very uncomfortable with what we're watching right now. Because, like, there are parts of it, and there, I remember there was some kind of narrative, like, introductory people who were talking about it. It might have been, like, a look at history of black film, maybe. But either way, I know there wasn't any context put around it because I remember that. I just remember thinking, we're watching something super racist. This movie is where we get the song Zippity Doodah from, which is still used in Disney stuff today. They just pretend to not know where it came from. <laughs> well, a gossip columnist named Hedda Hooper, Hopper suggested that James Basket, who played Remus, should be given an honorary Oscar for the role. And he was. So he's not on the official list of black actors who have gotten Oscars because it was an honorary one, but he actually was given it. People fell on both sides of the coin for this movie. People thought it was great and accurate and blah, blah, blah. But like uh, Birth of a Nation, people protested this movie because of how racist it was. This is in 1946. And people are protesting how racist this movie is. And not just black people, white people too. And so that's why Disney was like, oh shit, and kept it in the vault. And now it's back in the vault. And have and they have actually said, we are never putting this on Disney+. Plus. They do have other questionable things on Disney+, Plus, but there is, like you mentioned, a disclaimer at the beginning. Yeah. It's like, this is a product of its time. The 1940s also brought about, quote, Negro problem pictures. Now, you're probably thinking this is about the Negro problem, like Negroes are the problem, but it's actually the problems that Black people are having. So it's the opposite of what it kind of sounds like. It basically showed that there is, in fact, a race problem in America uh, with all the bullshit that Black people were going through then and largely what they're continuing to go through today. This kind of film was eye-opening, though not as much as we would hope since the civil rights movement still didn't happen for 20 years. And the fact that we still have to have movies like this today shows that they didn't fix everything. Um, You know, Get Out, which is one of the best movies of all time. No one will ever convince me that it's not one of the best movies of all time. If you've only seen it once, go through and watch it a second time. Uh Uh-huh. Just Jordan Peele is talking about it. Every moment in that movie was deliberate. Yeah, we were one of the, not one of, we were a pair of people who went into that thinking it was going to be a traditional horror movie because we'd seen the original trailers. I think we went on opening day. Yeah, Because we, we love horror movies. We love them. And they had like that crazy ass deer thing in the previews and all that. So we're like, oh, cool. This is going to be a really good horror movie. And it was a horror movie. Just not in the way we expected. We both, after the movie, just kind of sat there staring at the screen as the credits rolled. And we were like, I don't know what to do with the rest of my life now. Yes. Oh my god, did we also see Us on opening day? We did. And Us, like, super threw us off because I think, like, they screwed up and they didn't put any trailers at the start of it. They didn't, I think that was intentional. And so it just goes straight into the movie. And I was thinking here, it's like, okay, we're gonna, like, 10 minutes of trailers. It's like, oh, this is a preview for. Oh, we're in it. We are in it. <laughs> yeah, we watch horror movies constantly. Like, that is our drug of choice. Yeah, we're watching and, one tonight with and eating pizza because we're adults. Yeah, and I don't get scared during them. I mean, I do, like, little jump scares. It follows freaked me out, but not until... But with us, I had a hoodie on. I pulled my hood over my head, and I closed the hood up and sat with my hands in front of my mouth the entire movie. I was so scared. <laughs> But I also, like, couldn't stop watching. Oh, it was... I, Jordan Peele is a great director. We need to watch Lovecraft Country. Well, we need to get HBO for that. We don't have HBO. Yeah. We need to wait until the entire thing is out so that we can get an HBO, like... Unless HBO wants to sponsor us. 
HBO, sponsor us. Anyway, we got off track. Then the 1950s, which I assume is what Trump is talking about when he says he wants to make America great because, you know, subservient women and systemic racism that's really, really open and a Cold War sounds exactly like what he wants, right? Well, no, he loves Russia. He just wants, I think he wants the Cold War with someone else this time. I'm guessing Europe. Canada? Canada. Uh, yeah, Justin Trudeau is m- much better looking than him. So he I think can't, he that's can't entirely that. why. It's that's like probably it. Can, and people actually like him. And yes, quickly, I'm just going to add in here. Yes, I know about Justin Trudeau's blackface incident. Him being good looking and the blackface incident are uh, two completely separate thoughts in my brain. With the 1950s comes Sidney. Oh man, I meant to look up the pr- exact pronunciation and then I ran out of time. Sidney Poitier? Poitier. I thought there was a, like a ch sound somewhere in there. Um, his big break was a film called No Way Out in 1950, which was about a doctor named Luther Brooks, played by Sidney, who was attacked with racial slurs by his patients. And then one accidentally died while he was doing a procedure on them. And it was a legit accident, like just one of those things. While the movie did still have some stereotyping happening, it really actually dug into the racism that was occurring at the time. And the film's director, Joseph L. Minkowitz, said, quote, This was the first time racial violence was shown on screen except for the birth of a nation in modern times. Now, I'm not sure that's entirely true because we talked about that other film that was like the lynchings and stuff. But I think he was talking more about like the way it is now as opposed to slavery era. Uh, Censorship boards were like crazy up in arms trying to get them to edit these scenes out of the movies. Some theaters refused to show it at all. I believe this is one where the director was like, if you show the film and get fined, we'll pay your fines. I think that was this movie, but I didn't write it down. Uh, Throughout this whole thing, uh, the whole plot, Sydney's character who obviously is black, is the voice of reason. Everybody's, there are riots. It's like fucking the world right now. And this black character is the voice of reason. Like, calm down, guys. Like, And the movie ends with him saving the life of one of the white supremacists who had been tormenting him as a doctor, saying, quote, don't cry, white boy, you're going to live. <laughs> I don't know how he inflected you're going to live, but I'm going to guess he emphasized the you're. I need to watch this movie. Because that's how I, when I read it, that's how I read it was you're going to live as an I'm not, you are. But I could be very wrong. Um, weird fact. IMDb lists Sidney Poitier fourth on the list of cast members for this movie, despite him being the main character with three white actors ahead of him. Now, this could just be, I don't know how IMDb does it. It could be based on on the order that they were listed on the actual credits. But maybe IMDb, you should take a look. Uh, while we think of Sydney as a big star today, this was like, it took him 13 more years to win his Oscar after this. It didn't come easily. He didn't get that many film roles for a long time. Also, he's still alive. He's still alive? He is still alive. I, I actually that. almost ran out of the room when, and to yell out at you when I discovered that. <laughs> I was so excited to find out he was Yay. still alive. He's 93. And then there was Dorothy Dandridge. She was beautiful and talented and played extremely independent characters, especially in terms of her romantic life. Uh, She had worked for a long time before this, but in 1957, she made the movie Island in the Sun. It featured characters of various races, races, not racists, uh, showcased the inequality between British colonizers and people who lived on the island they colonized and interracial relationships including a marriage between Margot, her character, and Dennis, who was played by an actor named John Justin. The studio, they had to fight the studio to let them say they loved each other, and the studio would not allow them to kiss. You and I both know what the first on- on-screen interracial kiss was. Yeah. And that'll, I'll get into that uh, next week. Like, they had to do, like, an awkward, like, cheek touch. <laughs> that was all they were allowed to do. And that was scandalous. 
the result, of course, was that everybody involved in the film got hate mail, some of which was so bad they had to turn it over to the FBI. And we've talked about movies being protested for being racist. This one was protested for the opposite reasons. So things became difficult for Dorothy after that because people were like, oh, you were the one who seduced the white man or whatever. So things started to fall apart. She had a few more good roles, but uh, she ended up dying by a, quote, accidental overdose, Mm. like a lot of them did. Now we're in the 1960s and we have to return to Sidney Poitier. I told you this has to be a two-part Oh, damn. He really began taking off, playing roles that were in no way stereotypes, but it was Lilies of the Field in 1963 that made him a true star. Uh, His character was an army vet working with German nuns to build a chapel. This role wasn't as deep or meaningful as some of his others, but it was probably the first time a black actor had been in a feel-good movie that had nothing to do with his, like, race in terms of why it felt good or, like, and the nuns were like, you work with us. And he's like, yes, I work with you. So this, not, like, if you were, if I were to ask you what movie you thought he won an Oscar for, you'd probably say, guess who's coming to dinner? Yeah. He did not win an Oscar for that. He won for Lilies of the Field. He won Best Actor, being the first black male actor to win any Oscar. The movie he's best remembered for is Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which has been remade really well and extremely poorly over the years. We're looking at you, Aston Kutcher. (sighs) Um, And basically it's... He's in love with this girl. He goes to meet her family. Her family didn't know he was going to be black. They just knew he was a doctor and he won't agree to marry her without her father's permission, which he does ultimately get because the guy is awesome. See the movie. I'm not even spoiling anything. This movie is a thousand years old. So, of course, the civil rights movement is also starting to ramp up at this point. This led to questions about the film industry as posited in Hollywood Black. Who tells the stories of black Americans on screen, what's being said and what's not being said. There were some black writers behind the scenes, often the same ones who were acting in the films, but overall, the people who were telling the stories were overwhelmingly white. We still see this, like in the Netflix show On Our Block, which is like on its surface, you like, oh damn, this is amazing because it's supposedly all kids of color and doing all this. The showrunner is white. The writers are predominantly white. They're, writer, they're black writers, a pretty high turnover rate. And they had a scandal a couple when I first started when it turned out that their lead Latina character was played by a white girl. So I'm going to stop there. We've gotten through about 50 years of history. We've got 50 more years to go. And I've already glossed over so many things. Like I had to leave out so I had to leave out Ruby D. I had to leave out Sammy Davis Jr. Like we're getting into the 70s starting next week. And I will Ooh. go from 70s to now. So, you know, look forward to that. Because I'm going to be jumping right into black exploitation. Ooh, shaft. Yeah, you're damn right. So I know that was extremely long, extremely long, but there's so much to it. And so this all goes back to what I was saying about Chadwick Boseman, though. You can see like 100 plus years of history and the whole time tooth and nail, tooth and nail stereotypes, even that continue till today. I've I've mentioned them. White people writing black characters, having to create movies that just to prove that racism is still real. So I just wanted to show kind of where black actors today are coming from. And I will be, of course, talking about why Chadwick Boseman and Black Panther specifically mattered next week. Oh. I'm not asking questions today. Oh man, that was oh, that was a good that was a good segment. Yeah. I was I was actually listening instead of trying to think of stuff to say. Yeah, he was like riveted. He's like staring at me, and I'm like, please interrupt me at some point. I couldn't. I was like, I wanted to hear what you were going to say. Like I've got like I need a joke somewhere in here because this is heavy. It is very heavy, and it's it's hard to make jokes about heavy things sometimes. But don't worry. Well, we do when we're not on film or on whatever this is. Yeah, we're not we're, we're, we're not being recorded, but they're awful and we feel bad immediately. Do we though? I do. Do we? Oh, we never clarified why I'm Mothman. Yeah, why are you Mothman? So I tweeted out this 
that we thought I might be Mothman. And it's because I say things and then they happen. And Mothman is a either a cause or an omen of um, things that are about to come. I lean towards, towards him being, sorry, I lean towards him being more of a omen or a warning. Like, hey guys, something bad about to happen. But it's been happening a lot lately. Like a couple weeks ago, I said, hey, California, we haven't heard much about fires. And it was on fire the next day. And then I said, Wisconsin's been really quiet in this whole Minneapolis thing. And they're right there. And two days later, and, and even a couple years. You, then you said, man, we've sure had a quiet hurricane season. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple years ago, whenever this happened, I went, is Charles Manson dead? Like it came, popped in my head for no reason because I had not been listening to a true crime podcast recently. And then I said, no, I'm not even going to look it up. He's dead. He is definitely dead. I know he's dead. And I woke up the next morning and it was on the news that Charles Manson had died around the time I had that thought. So for those of you keeping track, she has caused hurricanes, Charles Manson's death and wildfires. And then she says, huh, do you think anyone's ever used Meals on Wheels to poison people? (laughs) Yeah. So guys, if Meals on Wheels starts poisoning people, you, you heard it here. Like I predicted this and I need to be studied. Yeah. Because I I looked it up. It has never happened. No one has intentionally poisoned people with Meals on Wheels. There has been food poisoning. There was a thing of norovirus, but there was never intentional poisoning. And if this does happen, I'm going to have to start doing some lathe of heaven, like subliminal, like making you say things I want to happen stuff. I don't think I have control over it, but I like I think I'll just lock myself in my closet and surround myself with like sage and garlic. I don't want to know this shit. I can't stop it. I don't want to know. So I'm Mothman, which is really confusing because he's also my boyfriend. Yeah. We live in a confusing household. We've got four cats. It's it's just chaos. So let me hear about my topic. So I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk about something light, even though you could say it's a bit of a dark roast. I'm talking about the time Sweden banned coffee. Okay. So if you're familiar with modern Scandinavian countries, they love coffee. Like you say America runs on Duncan. Well, Scandinavia runs on like 50 pounds of coffee a year. Like, each individual person. <laughs> total? Because that doesn't seem like a lot. Yeah. Um, in Sweden, they drink about 18 pounds of coffee a year per capita. What does that mean? 18 pounds of coffee grounds. Each person uses about 18 pounds of coffee grounds a year. I was confused by your use of per capita. So, for so ev- like, ev- that's, that's for every individual. Every individual. Okay. So, if you take the total amount of coffee consumed in Sweden and divide it by all the people in Sweden, it's 18 pounds a person. And is that including, like, infants? Yeah, that's including children. So we're in in reality, it's actually more because even if their kids are drinking it, uh, I'm pretty sure like they're not like, hey, let's put this in the bottle for the newborn. You don't know Sweden, Sweden. Swedes would absolutely give a baby coffee. Austin is part Swedish. My grandpa would have absolutely given a, a baby coffee. Your grandpa would have actually absolutely given a baby vodka just to see what would happen. No, no, he would have given a baby whiskey. We were a whiskey household. <laughs> They even have, like, a lifestyle, like, term for it of fika, mm-hmm. which is, I roughly translated translates as to, to have coffee. And workplaces will have two 30-minute coffee breaks in which they sit around and talk, drink coffee, and eat pastries. And they already work a shorter day than we don't. They already work a shorter day, and they get two built-in coffee breaks. Yeah, it's like, I think that they have, like, a six or seven-hour day, or that might be inc- that might be inclusive of the breaks, though. Like, that's... I mean, it's depending on the workplace because 
And some places this break is mandatory where you have to take a these half hour breaks twice a day and you know, have a sandwich. Meanwhile, where we live, you are legally not required to get any breaks unless you work at least, is it eight or eight and a half hours? Eight hours. Yeah. They don't have to give you a 15 minute break at any other point. And that eight hour day, you have, you can, you have to be allowed to take a lunch, but you are not paid for it. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. When they give you your 15s, they're being nice. Yeah. And again, some, it's even mandatory at some places. Coffee is a big deal. It's like tea in England. Yeah. Love coffee. But in the, between the years of 1756 and 1817, coffee was banned five separate times in Sweden. So it's like, is it, is, it, is it a moral thing? It Was somebody really mad that it gave him the trots? What's happening here? Well, let me go into it. Um, so coffee, or coffee in Swedish. It's K-A-F-F-E, right? K-A-F-F-I. I. Yeah, please. I think the E is Norwegian. How dare you? I'm sorry. I only learned Swedish for a little while. The Duolingo owl got too threatening and I had to take it away. <laughs> Imagine how threatening you would be if you were learning Swedish. Finnish. Although Duolingo, if you would like to sponsor us, we'd be all about that because I actually think you're a great app. Although I'm confused because I feel like I should be fluent in Spanish now because I finished Spanish and I am not fluent. So when coffee was introduced to Sweden, it quickly became popular amongst the upper class and you know it certainly filtered its way down to the rest of the people. How many puns am I going to sit through? So many (laughs) puns. Coffee was actually even given its scientific name by a Swede. Of course it was. Yeah, it was... uh, Carl Linnaeus, he was a botanist who is most famous for devising the taxonomy, uh, Linnaean taxonomy, that we use now for like, you know, the like kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. I think he's come up in one of mine before. And uh, and by grouping them based on observable physical traits. I think he came, oh, did he come up in my episode where I talked about epigenetics? I think he did. And people, people were, people didn't like him because of the Linnaean theory of evolution or something like that? No, I think you're, Lamarck. Lamarck, that's what I'm thinking yeah. of. Okay, but Lamarck, Lin- I think he came up during that. Yeah, he, he comes up a lot in biology. Uh, Pliny the Elder would have loved this guy. It's like, Did he ban coffee? Because I don't know. Well, so he gave it the scientific name, Coffea Arabica, which has confused people for generations because coffee did not originate on the Arabian Peninsula. Yeah. The like roasting coffee and like a lot of coffee culture came from there, but coffee actually originated in the jungles of Africa and Madagascar. Okay, I have a question about that. Maybe you'll get to it. Yeah. Maybe you won't because I know you have to What's your question? South America has a lot of coffee. It was introduced. Okay. Yeah. So, but it had a major detractor, or a couple of them. In King Gustav III and his father, Frederick I. Frederick I mostly just kind of taxed it and was kind of grumpy about coffee. But Gustav was the one who was all about banning it. Gustav sounds like a fun guy. I bet he threw the best parties. as As a king, we'll talk about what he did as a king because he was... Well, first of all, he was uh, one of the first European monarchs who was neutral in neutral in our War of Independence to recognize America as an independent country in 1777. He he legalized Catholics and Jews being able to live in Sweden. Uh, he limited torture and executions. Wait, so was it who could live in Sweden before that? Was like anybody else? Or? Yeah, anybody else. You couldn't be Catholic or Jew- and Jewish and live in Sweden. But he decided, yeah, you can live in Sweden. So okay, because Sweden's a Lutheran country, right? Uh, yes, largely. And he also favored freedom of the press and like writ several, wrote several laws in 1766, giving lots of press freedoms. But 
He eliminated the free press in 1792. He strengthened the monarchy at the expense of the nobles, and they hated him for it. And he greatly profited from the Atlantic slave trade. Of course. Yeah. He also hated coffee, which is what we're... Is, it, is that all? I, he just didn't like it? Yeah, he just didn't like it. And here's the reasons why he didn't like it. He thought it was bad for Swedish culture. First of all, it was new, and it was foreign, and therefore it was bad. Sure. And they blame. They thought it was bringing an unwelcome French presence into Sweden because the French were the ones who were all about drinking coffee at the time. So would you say the French were pressing them? Yes. <laughs> you beat me to my next <laughs> line. Um, it was immoral, immorally wasteful. It was an immorally wasteful form of sociability, which, you know, they're Scandinavian. Sociability is wasteful enough on its own. You mm-hmm. add coffee to it, it's too much. Uh, he thought it was bad for the economy because there was no coffee coming from Sweden. People were just buying coffee. So Swedish money was leaving the country. And it was that whole mercantile economy bullshit that, you know, idiots today try and pass off. But, you know, it, all of these Swedish kids can't afford houses because they're spending all of their money buying coffee. So this has been a thing since before the Revolutionary War. So next time someone says, well, maybe you could buy a house if you didn't buy all that Starbucks coffee, you can tell them to fuck off, King Gustav III. Oh my god, I'm gonna start doing that. Yep. Fuck off, King Gustav III, and then they will just be very confused, and then I will walk away. Yes, and then they might Google him and get very mad, or very happy because he was a king. I don't know, people are stupid. The third part was he thought coffee houses would be havens for anti-monarchy conspirators. I mean, he's not wrong. Spoilers, it didn't work. He also thought it was going to be very bad for your health. He devised an experiment to prove it, and it is called the first Swedish clinical trial as kind of a joke. He took two identical twins who were condemned to death via execution. Sure. And commuted their sentences to life in prison under the condition that one would drink three pots of coffee a day. Oh my god. And the other would drink the same amount of tea every day so they could see the horrible, like, how coffee-ravaged this guy would be when he died a horrific death of drinking coffee. What kind of tea? They didn't mention what kind of tea. I mean, it's a very different result if it's green tea because that has at least as much caffeine as coffee. Now, who do you think died first? Well, I want to say the tea guy because that goes in line with what your story is, but I could also imagine coffee guy shooting his brains out. (laughs) You were wrong. The king died first. Oh, perfect. He was assassinated in 1792, not because of the coffee thing, but because of him taking power from the nobility, and they hated him and killed him. I'd kill him over the coffee thing. The doctors overseeing the experiment also died before the subjects. The tea-drinking brother died at age 83, which is goddamn ancient at the time. That's... You know, that's that's not impressive now, but that's that's a good age. That's now. a good like, age. Somebody died in 83, you'd be like, they lived a good long they life. They lived a life. And in 1792, that's like, damn, they get lived a long life. The coffee drinking brother lived longer. We don't know how much longer, but we know that he survived his tea drinking now, brother. Now, after the doctors all died, did they have to keep drinking the coffee? They didn't say. I bet he was addicted by then, though. It's like, like I need my, th- it's like, dude, don't even talk to me until I've had three pots of coffee. <laughs> That's actually what I say to Austin most mornings. Yeah. yeah. Also, uh, Linnaeus, who I talked about earlier, said it had all sorts of bad health effects. Like it caused hemorrhoids, senility, sudden death, and of all things, he thought coffee caused constipation. Oh, Jesus. Probably because he had a big stick up his own ass. Yeah. Note, he also talked about the amazing health benefits of tobacco. 
Tobacco is an interesting one. It might actually be worth talking about sometime yeah. because tobacco and cigarettes are not the same thing. He would still drink coffee because of its medicinal purposes of helping him keep awake and be active. And stay regular. And stay regular. <laughs> so it's okay for him, just not for anybody else. It's okay for him. It's like, don't drink coffee. Now I need my now I need a quarter pint of coffee to deal with this. Oh, my pumpkin spice came out this last week and I have not had any yet. <gasps> Ooh. Austin, you're the one who leaves the house. You've got to bring me home a pumpkin spice this week. Okay. So, you know, the ban originally started out as an increased tax on coffee and on coffee paraphernalia. Sounds a lot like prohibition. Yep. Uh, but it quickly increased to a full ban within a year. People had funerals for their coffee pots. I get that. I get that on a spiritual level. Initially, the penalties were just fines and they would confiscate your cups and saucers. <laughs> this None of this actually slowed down coffee drinking in any way. A very profitable and widespread, like, coffee bootlegging industry popped up immediately. Oh no shit. Yeah. Kinda, it's almost like banning something makes people want it more. Yeah. Uh, also, visitors to Sweden were surprised to learn about the ban because coffee was so available. Uh, the English ph- philosopher and author Mary Wollenstonecraft uh-huh. uh, visited there in 1795. She was greeted almost immediately with coffee. Um, she described it as excellent coffee. She had coffee at nearly every home she visited. And she didn't learn and until... she didn't ha- sleep for six days. She didn't learn until halfway through her journey that coffee was, in fact, illegal. Yet people wrote coffee ban poetry lamenting the coffee ban and how much they... About how much they missed coffee. I would do that too. And, like, there was one travel writer who said, like, I was given coffee everywhere I went. And, you know, someone said, it's our patriotic duty to not drink coffee ourselves, but we keep it for our guests. But it's just, you know, being hospitable. Yeah. And then it's rude to not drink with them. Yeah. So then, of course, you know, you have to drink the coffee with them. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, this is Linnaeus, because we're going to go back to him again, because he is just a treasure trove during this. Suggested a a few, like, replacements for coffee. Suggested instead of using coffee beans, you just roast, you just burn regular beans or nuts or burn toast, and grind it up to make coffee that way. So, uh, I'm going to... Okay, he was a plant scientist. He was a botanist. And he thinks that regular beans and coffee beans were the same? You'll get the same flavor. You won't. There also, actually are, like, there are some beans that, like, do give something similar, but... No, no, this was... No, like, give me my coffee or give me death. Also, oh, chicory coffee. We went to New Orleans. Um, Chicory coffee was like everywhere. And then I was having conversations with people at work about chicory. Mm-hmm. And then somebody brought up, it's like, because it came up because we were talking about poisons as one does. And chicory came up. And I'm like, wait, what about chicory coffee? Because like chicory can cause miscarriages and like all these problems. So I looked it up for chicory coffee. And yes, it is the same chicory and pregnant women are advised against drinking chicory coffee. Huh. They don't think that there's enough chicory in it to cause problems, but it's one of those things it's like, don't risk it. Don't risk it. Yeah. It's, there's lots of ethical reasons not to do real clinical trials on like pregnant people. Everything we get is kind of yeah. circumstantial. So like the majority like of quote unquote pregnancy safe medications, they're pretty sure, not definitely sure that these are safe. Yeah. So. So eventually, the penalty for the possession or drinking of coffee it escalated to inc- include prison time. It still did not stop people from oh, drinking no. coffee. Probably yeah. in prison. Yeah, of course. And Sweden wasn't the only country to ban coffee. In Prussia, King Frederick the Great also banned coffee. God damn it, Fred. He actually would send people to sniff, literally sniff out coffee. <laughs> 
That's amazing. And roasters. Like, the people will be walking in the streets trying to smell coffee and go arrest people roasting it. How much money do you think those people made from by getting paid off by people whose houses they smelled? I'm sure it's like, hey, it's like, I smell coffee here. I'm going to arrest you, but can I have a cup? I'm going to arrest you. Here's five bucks. Bye. And there's this quote I absolutely love, so I'm just going to read it. It is disgusting to notice the increase in the quantity of coffee used by my subjects. Everyone is using coffee. My people must drink beer. (laughs) I'm allergic to one of these two things, and it is not coffee. Yeah. Oh, that barley allergy is a pain. It actually really is because Kansas only sells beer and White Claw in grocery stores. White Claw. And White Claw gives me headaches, and beer makes me real sick. Yeah. So finally, the uh, coffee ban ended in 1822, and the world learned a lesson about unpopular prohibitions that it never repeated. Ever. Ever. Certainly there was not the American prohibition on alcohol or all of the current American prohibitions on marijuana that are ineffective, unpopular. Yeah. Like that's the, that's, and I'm not going to get too far into vaping, but like the vapes that have killed or hurt people are homemade vapes. And so what do they think people are going to do when they're banning the commercial ones? Start using more homemade ones. Kind of like when you ban abortion, abortion doesn't stop. You want it to be safe and well-regulated and do what you've been doing with cigarettes, guys. Like, yeah. regulate. And also don't get rid of the flavors because people who are using it to quit smoking, if they're using the tobacco-flavored ones, have all said, I went back to smoking when I had to use the tobacco ones. So, yeah. But vaping is bad. And if you are a kid especially, do not do it. It is highly addictive and it will be very hard to stop. If you're an adult who has not yet started, don't do it either. Yeah. So, are you ready for some questions? I am. So... Will the fact that Sweden has mandatory coffee breaks be on the test? Wait, how did this end? Oh, they just they just lifted it because it was so unpopular. They just finally said, fine, no more coffee ban. So it was the king after Gustav? Yeah. yeah. They just lifted it because, you know, kings they just do whatever the fuck they want. Sure. And that was the end of the coffee bans. And Sweden's been drinking coffee ever since. Um. So, but to answer the question, if we're learning about Sweden, yeah, I think that'd be on the test. Yeah. Just a fun fact. Will the twin experiment be on the test? Yes. Will the fact that Germany had coffee-sniffing cops be on the test? I hope so. That's amazing. And will the fact that, like, a scientist we all learn about thought that tobacco was healthier than coffee be on the test? No, we can't We can't talk about anything about tobacco other than that smoking is bad. And smoking is bad. Smoking is bad. Don't smoke. Or chew. Or do snuff. Oh, God. Don't chew. Chewing is the grossest. Don't chew. It's like... If you, if you chew, you will get pregnant and you will die. Oh, God. No, if, if you chew... You're your, just gonna, your mouth, you'll get meth teeth. It, uh, it just, it's not a good look on we, anybody. We just lost our like one chewing listener. They just sp- they just spat while they were, I don't know, walking their dog listening to our podcast. But like seriously though, if you run in a room with somebody who's chewing and spitting. It's disgusting. It's, it smells so it bad. It smells. It's, it stains all your clothes, your teeth. Yeah. Like there's and, a reason that people go outside to smoke. Like go outside to chew. If you're going to chew and you're going to spit, oh, go outside, please. And I have a friend in high school's dad who chewed tobacco almost constantly. Is it the one I'm thinking of? Yeah. And he would, um, when he, if he was in Walmart, he would have like a cup he'd spit into. Yep. But if he didn't have his cup, he'd spit into his sock. Like in, he'd like lift up his, he'd lift up his foot and spit into his sock. I bet his ankle was also stained. Yeah. Like permanently. It was, uh, he was a character. So that was. That was my that was my topic. So we had two very different topics today. Oh, I think this is our longest podcast yet. Not yet, but it will be by the time we're done. Woo. So my part 
two is going to be next week. Austin's going to be talking about something probably completely different next week. Probably completely different. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. And we are getting close to our one year mark. I think we're at episode 50 right now, maybe. I didn't, I I don't don't remember what I typed last week. Um, so we're getting, we're getting close guys and we would really love it if we had some more listeners. And so here's something that I've learned. When you listen to a podcast, whether it's us or anybody, download it because most podcast hosts count downloads, not streams. So make sure you're downloading it. That's what will count. Um, that way, if we try to get onto any charts or if we try to get sponsors at some point in the future, they'll see like, oh, wait, people are listening because here are the number of downloads. And please rate on the iTunes if you have Apple because we've been sitting at nine and it makes me want to cry. It's very sad. So get us up but, to 10. Yeah, get us up to 10. Unless you're going to give us a one star, then why are you here? You got yeah. to the end of the episode. Come on. Yeah. Like, nope, nope, nobody has, well, I mean, if somebody has a gun to your head, find a way to tweet us and we'll help you. (laughs) How on earth are we going to help them? How? I don't know. We'll figure it out. We're smart people. We'll just like, we'll just hop in the car and drive. We'll throw a cat at him. I had to call the cops yesterday, so. You called the non-emergency line because the stoplight was out. Because all of the stoplights were out. Yeah. At least they weren't all green. Can you imagine the chaos if they were all green? Oh my God. It's like, I'll find a way. I'm a very resourceful person. It's true. She, uh, if there's anyone in this house who's a superhero, that's not a cat, it's her. I can find anything on anybody, and I'm not going to get into the stuff that I have found. Yeah, it's, she's, she is, she does a lot of research, and she is very good at it. Yeah, I do a lot of research, both, like, for this, and for my job, and because whenever I have a question, I go down the rabbit hole, and I've... Yeah, oh, God, this week... Like, what, what, two hours talking about internal decapitations? Um, it wasn't that long just about internal decapitations. It turned into other weird health stuff. And I got really mad because the list was not as weird as the stuff I already knew. Yeah, it's like, there's like, oh my god, all of these weird medical things. It's like, pfft, teeth and tumors, that's not crazy enough for me. But uh, internal decapitation is fascinating. Like, internal decapitation, guys, is when, um, basically your ligaments that hold your skull to your spinal column get severed so your spine itself isn't injured but the ligaments are what's broken so in theory you could live forever that way but if if the moment you move it's shaken baby syndrome and your and your brainstem freaks out and dies so they literally screw your skull onto your spine and shockingly like 15 percent of people who have this survive now, that, that sounds like a really low number, but they got fucking decapitated and they survived. Uh, most of them have neurological problems afterwards. Uh, anything from just like minor stuff to full-blown, like no longer able to function. But not everybody. Some people come out and it's just like, I just can't turn my head anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> For a fun medical fact, I should just do a podcast where I talk about nothing but the weird medical shit I learned that week. I, I feel like if we ever run out of ideas for this, I can just take notes about what you talked about during the week and then set you off on tangents. Just let me talk about conjoined twins and you will learn everything you need to know. Oh, man. I've, I've heard a lot about conjoined twins this week, too. So where can people find us? Well, our address. <laughs> no, no, where can they find us? Online. Online. <laughs> We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the test pod. When you look for us, we search by will this be on the test question mark. Look for the one that has the statue face palming. We are on Twitter at on the test pod. We are on Instagram at on the test pod. We are at on the test Those are the best ways to reach us. The social medias are because my phone has decided to stop giving me notifications about my emails again. Oh no. And so I don't want people to think I'm ignoring them. Rate us, review us, you know, talk, tell us how great we are. If you have suggestions about episodes, give them to us. If you got, yes. if you have like correct, 
we have taken suggestions for topics yeah. before. And if you ha- if we got something wrong and you want to tell us about it, tell us. We will we are we will happily do corrections. Yes, we will absolutely do corrections because you know, just like you know, we didn't learn this in school, and even if we did, they might have got it wrong. And yeah, it's like we. We, we, also, we are we, we are also, we are mortal and will accept that we get th- things wrong. And like our interns are really bad at their jobs, so they're not helping us with research. I guarantee you, they're also asleep right now. I know. We'll get downstairs and they'll just be like, "What?" It's like all they do is eat and sleep and poop. It's like if only they had like they all have affluenza. Yeah. Like their parents just spoiled them and made it so they feel like they never have to do anything. No, it's like none of them have real jobs anyway. I don't think they're ever going to get a job. I don't think so either. Like one of them tried to become an Instagram model and it just didn't work out. No, just didn't have the, didn't put in the work. Just, just laid there. Had the one spot. They should be embarrassed. We should really talk. We should really talk to their parents about the choices they made. So yeah, rate, review, subscribe, especially if you have an apple, go, not the fruit. No, if if you have, especially if you have a fruit, the apple, just shout, I like this (laughs) podcast into your apple, this, this fruit and do it in public. And then people will think, what's going on? I need to read this podcast. Read this podcast. Yes, read. (laughs) We still need to figure out transcripts again. You know, I'll keep working. You keep. Keep telling. Download, download, review, review. I guess, and I am so tired, so we need to go. Yep. On that note, class class dismissed. dismissed.